Hello, everyone. I'm Greg Goins from the Reimagined Schools podcast, a proud member of the Education Podcast Network, just like the show you're listening to right now. The opinions expressed are those of the individual host. Make sure you check out all the other great podcasts at edupodcastnetwork.com and get ready because the learning begins in three, two, one. Welcome to Kindergarten Chaos, the Developmentally Appropriate Podcast. Hello everyone and welcome to Kindergarten Kiosk. I'm Lindsay. I'm Kathy. And today we have an awesome interview for you. It's with Dr. Wiley Blevins. Wiley Blevins is a world-renowned expert on early reading and author of the seminal book Phonics from A to Z, among many other works. He has taught in both the United States and South America, and he regularly trains teachers throughout Asia. He holds a doctorate in education from Harvard University, and he's worked with numerous educational scholars, and among them is my hero, Marilyn Jager Adams. <laughs> <laughs> I'm jealous he got to talk to her. I, that's my dream is to meet her because she was the person who was the turning point in my educational career. Today we're going to talk to Dr. Blevins about his newest book, A Fresh Look at Phonics, which uh, is going to be my go-to book for everything phonics this year because it's so full of good stuff. Well, it is such a good book that when Lindsay got this book, I immediately stole it and, (laughs) and it's sitting here on my computer, on my desk that I've been using. And I haven't removed it from this desk. And it, I'm very lucky because my district gave me one at my summer training. So now you can keep it. And I can keep it. And it's I got your notes it in it. And so <laughs> I got the bonus of here's your notes that you took when you did this book. Oh, I need my notes back. <laughs> <laughs> hey, let's listen to the expert. Yeah. My name is Wiley Blevins, and I uh, used to be an elementary school teacher. I taught both in the United States and South America, and then I uh, went to graduate school at Harvard, and while I was there, began doing an internship at a publishing house, uh, creating reading textbooks for elementary schools. And so since then, I've been spending my time helping publishers create textbooks and also working with teachers in schools. I do a lot of consulting with school districts um, and also writing not only curriculum, but also books to help teachers, especially uh, teachers who are teaching uh, elementary, the the primary grades. I've written books like Phonics from A to Z, Teaching Phonemic Awareness um, for Early Reading Success, and my latest book, A Fresh Look at Phonics, are are a few of them. And let's talk about A Fresh Look at Phonics. I really, really enjoyed this book. It was very helpful to me as somebody who's constantly trying to get better at teaching phonics. Thank you. Can you talk a little bit about the background of this book specifically and how you came to write it? Yeah, it's, it's kind of an interesting story. Um, when I first started training teachers in phonics, this was back in like the late 90s, I was teaching them on uh, the seven characteristics of strong phonics instruction because a lot of the curriculum that was in place at that time didn't have all those characteristics in place, so students were missing out on some really valuable 
resources and tools and strategies and what have you. And then around 2000, the National Panel Report came out, and there was a lot of funding for training teachers in phonics and phonemic awareness. The, at the time, we were trained in what was called the Big Five, which were phonemic awareness, phonics, fluency, comprehension, and vocabulary. So after a few years, as I was traveling around the country, teachers seemed very well trained in, in phonics. And so a, a lot of times when I'd be speaking, there'd be a lot of heads nodding. And I thought, okay, well, the seven characteristics are in place. But then something very interesting happened around the time the Common Core Standards came out. A lot of districts were having me come in to help them think about how they transitioned to the Common Core, not just do we add more informational text, what about post-reading, those kinds of big questions everyone was asking. But a lot of districts were taking a step back and looking at all aspects of their reading instruction, including phonics, because they were having some issues. And what I kept finding district after district after district was they would have phonics instruction materials in place that they thought were strong. They had assessments in place, and they felt like their teachers were were trained, but they weren't getting the student results that they that they expected. So on paper, it didn't make sense. And so that's where my my work with phonics really shifted to find out what happens when we have everything in place we think we should have in place, but it's not working. Mm -hmm. And so I spent time analyzing all the materials that were out there, analyzing the assessments that were being used, and then just watching teachers teach classroom after classroom, school after school, and some things started rising to the surface, some very common obstacles that teachers were facing that were standing in their way of really implementing effective phonics instruction and were standing in the way of students of maximizing their learning. And so the book really is based on that work, trying to get teachers to understand, yes, if you have these seven characteristics in place, that's great, but that's where the hard work really begins because there's so many things that can stand in your way of not getting the results you want if you don't implement it correctly. And there were so many common issues and common errors that I saw, not just with, with uh, the teaching, but also with the materials that teachers were using really weren't servicing their needs. And so the book arose out of that, really trying to get publishers, uh, administrators and teachers to look at their part of trying to fix some of the big issues that I saw. Yeah, and it was very helpful to me because there was a lot, I, I liked how throughout the book you always are reminding teachers to look at our own instruction and think yeah. about where our own pitfalls are and 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 you even have a little bit of workshopping in the book, and which I yeah. appreciated. Yeah, the thing that I that I got most excited about when I was doing all of this, this early work was a lot of the things I was finding were fixable by the classroom teacher. And I thought mm -hmm. if I can empower the classroom teacher to make some of these changes, we can really move the needle in terms of student progress. And so when I do trainings now, a lot of teachers get excited because they know they can go in their classrooms that next day, that next week, and start making some of these changes or be aware of some of these obstacles to try to avoid them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was really helpful to me. Um, can we talk a little bit about phonemic awareness first, since this is primarily kindergarten teachers who are listening? Sure. Um, can you talk a little bit about what phonemic awareness is and uh, why why it's so important to the phonics program, especially for these little ones? Yeah, well, you know, phonemic awareness really came to the forefront back in 1990 with Marilyn Adams' book, Beginning to Read, Thinking and Learning About Print, she really um, was very explicit about the connection between phonemic versus phonics, and it didn't get a lot of attention in the curriculum at that time. I had the good fortune back then to be working with Marilyn on a curriculum, 
It was pretty incredible uh, because she had pulled together all the research about what children really need to get started to to develop as readers. And she, as you know, she found that alphabet recognition and phonemic awareness were the two best predictors of early reading success. They really are sort of the gateway skills. And we know, for example, that if children don't have an understanding that words are made up of sounds, if they can't segment these sounds, if they can't think about words at the sound level, it's very difficult for them to read and write. So when we look at some of the phonemic awareness activities like oral blending or oral segmentation, they are so tightly linked to students' early reading uh, growth. So for example, if you can't orally blend or orally string together sounds, like if I were to say at, and you couldn't put those together to say the word sat, if I showed you the word S-A-T, you wouldn't be able to connect those letters to sounds and put them together either. So that is a precursor skill. The same way with oral segmentation. If I say the word sat and you can't break it apart, orally segment it by sounds, the three sounds that are made, uh, that it's made up of, it'll be very difficult for you to write the word because as early writers, as you know, teaching kindergarten, the children gets to a word they want to spell, they think about the sounds, they attach a letter or a spelling to each sound, you know, they're breaking it apart at that level. So with phonemic awareness, I call oral blending and oral segmentation, as you know from the book, the power skills, mm -hmm. because they really have the greatest influence on reading and writing development. So I spend the bulk of my time working on those skills, especially with our, our, young, our young readers. Mm -hmm. I know there's been some recent research, like Ray Reutzel did a study back in 2015 where he talked quite explicitly about the fact that we overdo certain skills, like rhyme and alliteration, because they're fun, but uh -huh. they don't have the payoff when it comes to early reading and writing growth. So we have to be very careful about uh, what we do, the sequence in which we do these skills going from you know bigger chunks of words to smaller chunks, uh, the skills that are going to have the most impact, and really refocusing our efforts to try to get more mileage out of the instructional time we have. Because when I think about phonics, and I travel around the country, sometimes it's a very limited part of the day where they're focusing on phonics. So you mm -hmm. have very few instructional moments that you have to get the most bang for your buck during that time. So that requires you to be very careful about what you choose to do, and always thinking about how does this relate to a child's reading or writing development. It's the same thing I think you saw in the book with, with alphabet recognition. Mm -hmm. You know, when I was working with students here in, in New York City, we were practicing handwriting. You know, I would see the children writing the letter, the letter S, over and over. And I thought, what is my goal, really, of this lesson? How is this going to make them a better reader and writer? Not just forming the letter, but I want them to know that this letter stands for a specific sound. And I want that connection to be very, very strong. So when they're writing now, I have them say the sound as they write the letter. So they might be writing the letter 20 times, but they're saying s, 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 you know, each time mm -hmm. they're forming the letter. So I'm making that sound letter connection stronger. I'm getting it to mastery faster. And I'm, even the physical motion of making the letter S is connected now to that sound. And I think we have to think as teachers about everything we're doing and asking ourselves very honestly, how is this helping them develop as a reader and writer in the... the the, uh, the fastest, most efficient way possible. Yeah. And I, I really appreciated about the book that, I mean, we talk about systematic. We use that word for phonics all the time. Be systematic, yeah. be systematic. But I really appreciated that you talked about 
you know, what does systematic mean and what does it look like and in what yeah. order should we teach things to get the most bang for our buck? Um, you know, you were very clear and succinct and, and it was really eye-opening to me. Oh, okay, I should teach these letters first or I should teach these sounds first or I should spend the most time on this. That was very helpful. Yeah, I don't think people really understand what systematic means because we're so general about it. We just mm -hmm. say start with easier skills and go to more complex skills. But if we're really being systematic, we're, we're taking children conceptually through phonics in really simple stair-step ways. Mm -hmm. We go from the known to the new in a way that makes the new knowledge, the new concept, easier to understand. Mm -hmm. So it's not just going from easy to hard. It's how we move along that pathway. And I don't think that we've done enough research or really looked at that uh, in as much detail to help our students. So, for example, if I go from uh, CBC words, like we do in, in kindergarten, you know, cat, run, what have you, conceptually I might move up to silently, finally, magic-y, whatever mm -hmm. people call it in the particular uh, school, which is often on standards. That's a huge conceptual leap. So all of a sudden, two letters now represent one sound. That's a big idea. Mm -hmm. So I see teachers introducing this brand new concept by just writing a lot of words on the board with finally, like, like and make and what have you. But mm -hmm. imagine if we did it in a, a much more uh, obvious way, where we went from rat to rate or, mm -hmm. you know, bit to bite, where that where they you took something the kids know and you did a word that was very, very similar so that the new concept is so obvious to them and you can talk about it in a very simple way that they'll get. And so for me, systematic is really making those conceptual leaps much smaller and easier for children to understand. Yeah. And, and you talk about that a lot. I noticed that, that the power in phonics is hooking the known to the unknown yeah. always. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, would you mind if when I publish this podcast, if I publish a few of your examples of, you know, what oh, order sure. to teach letters or, or that to show people oh, yeah, what absolutely. it, okay, great. I will put that with the podcast so people can see, because that really helped me a lot. Um, and I also thought it was interesting that you'd pointed out that some of the new, this is back to phonemic awareness, but that you'd pointed out that we used to always think of phonemic awareness as something you can do in the dark and yes. you never bring in the letters, but you're saying yes. that. The, some of the new research says bring in the letters. Well, what's fascinating about that, and, and if you go back, you look too young to, to have been teaching in the 90, uh, 1990s, <laughs> but when we were first introduced to that concept nationally, it was phonemic awareness you can do in the dark. But if you look at Marilyn Adams' book in 1990, it talks about the use of letters. I think nationally they were introducing the concept and people felt like uh, because phonemic awareness wasn't done and done well, that teachers were moving into the letters too fast. Mm -hmm. And so for me, and when you look at, at the research that Marilyn talked about you know, decades ago, it really is when we get to the more complex phonemic awareness tasks, tasks like if we're doing substitution or addition or, or what have you, uh, any kind of phonemic manipulation tasks. By the time you get to those tasks, children are already reading. Mm -hmm. And for some children, explaining those tasks with print involved really helps them um, do it better. It mm -hmm. helps them understand what the task is. I mean, if you think of a task like word building, which you can start in kindergarten, where you go from like sat to mat, mat to man, etc., that really is phonemic manipulation. Children have to do that 
in their minds and think about which sound is different, what position of the word. That's very sophisticated thinking about how words work. So there are what are considered typical phonics tasks that really involve some very high-level phonemic awareness abilities. Yeah, and I've always—I must admit—I've always had a hard time with that task of the substitution, and it's been. Yeah. And, and I think it's because I've tried to get kids to do it completely orally. Yep. And so I'm excited to try uh, bringing in the letters as a support for them. I think that's really going to help them this year. Even if you start introducing it, like the first couple that you do substitute the letters and then try it without the letters and mm -hmm. slowly ease them into that, I think it will, it yeah. will help them. That was really good research for me to know. Um, can we talk about the um, the seven, let's see, the seven pillars? Is that what we call it in the book? <laughs> well, the characteristics of strong boxes. Yeah, the seven yeah. characteristics, because I will admit that I thought I had good a good phonics background, but there were some that I had never done before. <laughs> like what? Um, like your blending lines. I really liked your blending lines, and that was something totally new to me that I hadn't heard of before. Yeah, I've been over the years been transforming those blending lines. So when you introduce a new skill, you know, you write some words on the board and usually it's, it's only a few and usually it's very random. I'm really sort of up the ante with the blending lines because it's a whole, generally a whole class activity. Mm -hmm. So you'll notice that I have them sequenced in a way that goes from easier to more complex and mm -hmm. the teacher can gather formative assessment information. I always have tasks for the lower level kids and the above level kids mm -hmm. so that we're providing support for all. I think there's so much more we can do there. I mean, when I think of whole group work, I always think of what if I lived in a, or taught in a one room schoolhouse? Yeah. You know, I think when we do whole group, we're so teach to the middle, teach to the middle. Uh -huh. And instructional time is so valuable and it's so limited. We really have to become better at differentiating whole group work. And blending lines are one place where I've been able to do that, I think, well. I mean, you know, we can easily differentiate a small group, but we can't ignore what's happening during the whole group. So blending lines have, have, has offered me that opportunity to not waste any students' time during mm -hmm. a very brief whole group lesson, but also give the teacher really valuable formative assessment information so that she can, on the fly, make some corrections, make some modifications, what have you. Yeah. And I really, I thought that was really powerful, too, because I feel like I, I have felt like some of my whole group instruction is wasting somebody's time. You know, if you're too yeah. low, I'm losing you because yeah. I'm teaching to the middle. And if you're too high, I'm wasting your time because I'm teaching to the middle. But I yeah. really like how you formulated your blending lines to have a little bit for everybody. And, and they started really because I wanted to build in a review and repetition cycle. Mm -hmm. You know, that's one of the things I hit in the book the most is the fact that this is when I was evaluating curriculum, the thing that was a huge eye-opener for me was there's so many assumptions in the curriculum that we use that there's this enough review and repetition of skills and when you really take a step back and look at how many times after a skill has been introduced it's really uh, in a systematic or purposeful way being looked at it's it's n not nearly enough for a lot of children to achieve mastery and we always had the assumption that well they'll see words and upcoming stories but when I started analyzing the words and upcoming stories, they were often really simple words that mm -hmm. many of the students had already committed to memory, so they weren't even using the skill to sound them out. So we have some big issues with some of the ways our curriculum are developed. So I've had to go in and help teachers 
build in a really systematic review and repetition cycle so that after they teach a skill, there's at least four to six weeks where that skill is still being hit so that mm-hmm. children have enough time to achieve mastery so that they can then transfer the skill. And so the blending line started with me wanting to find some very simple places in a typical phonics lesson where I could fold in review and repetition. Mm-hmm. So I'm sure you noticed that in the blending lines mm-hmm. is also a component of it. Yeah, I did notice that. And, and I felt... I felt really empowered to build in more review because yeah. yeah, that was something I really felt like I needed to do better at after reading the book is having more review because I think I have in the past introduced a phonics skill and thought, well, it's taught now. Yay. Check, check. Let's exactly. <laughs> I wanted it an easy way in a lot of places in the lesson where it wouldn't take up too much extra time. Mm-hmm. So when I'm adding uh, review, words from previous lessons, I always talking about meeting the needs of a wide range of students. I'm also including a couple really simple, what I would consider obvious words mm-hmm. that strugglers might remember, and then a couple words that they haven't seen before where everyone has to work through. So mm-hmm. even there, I'm trying to get some information on who is really getting it and who uh, isn't. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you can be really strategic with very basic activities. Yeah. Um, just as I was reading the book, one question I had was, what what do you envision the time frame being like for a phonics in- instruction? Because I think you mentioned that we shouldn't, uh, you know, bury our kids in phonics instruction; that it doesn't that doesn't help them. But uh, I, I had a hard time envisioning what the time frame does look like. You know, it's a really hard question to answer because mm-hmm. so many teachers are forced into specific times by the mm-hmm. districts. Some have 20, some have 30, you know, it ranges all over the place. My thing about looking at the time, regardless of whether it's 15, 20, 30, what have you, and I I make this point in the book, is that at least half of that time be spent on applying the skills to authentic reading and writing. Mm -hmm. And that's where we fall down. It isn't so important to me whether you have 20 or 30, because I'm going to make some choices about the activities that have the most impact on learning. Mm -hmm. It's what I do during that 20 or 30 you know, I'm going to do some quick lessons, quick review of skills, and then we're going to read and we're going to write about what we read. Mm-hmm. And that is a huge missing component of phonics lessons. Usually it's isolated skill and drill for the bulk of the lesson. Maybe there's a little reading going on. There's rarely any writing follow-up. You know, the, the little books that children read during a phonics lesson, because they have so many words with the target skill, are really great to write about because children will naturally have to use those words to write about what they just read. So it's a huge missed opportunity. Plus, the books are there for support for children who need that extra support. Mm-hmm. So for me, it's, it's, it's really about how you're using those minutes, that the, the amount of that time. It's what we're actually doing with the time we have. Yeah. Yeah. And, and speaking of, um, I, I think it's easier for me to envision uh, translating phonics to writing for kids because that's natu- they naturally work at their own pace when they're writing because the kids who have more skills write more and the kids who have more meager skills they maybe just write the first letter so I think that's easier for me Um, but what would you when when you talk about reading decodable text what would that look like at the very beginning of the year when maybe their knowledge is really meager and they know a couple sight words and a couple letters what what would you right at the beginning of the year I start with very patterned text Mm-hmm. So I take advantage mm-hmm. of the sight words and I just slowly start folding in mm-hmm. some of the words that can be sounded out. It takes, you know, a, a subset of skills before there are enough 
uh, words that can be sounded out to mm -hmm. make sentences that actually make sense. And so, you know, if you don't have little decodable stories that do that, I, I create what I call accountable sentences. It could just be a few sentences that I'd write on the board for the children mm -hmm. to read. I find that for teachers, it's a lot easier to think of writing some sentences than creating a story, mm -hmm. which is much more complex. So I teach them how to write accountable sentences where there'll be some words that they can sound out. There'll be words that are the sight words. And maybe there's some, some what we would call story words or what have you that are about things we're reading about or talking about that week. So there's some context, there's some authenticity to the sentences that they're reading. Mm -hmm. So that's one way, especially at the beginning of K, to give them lots of practice. But you have to slowly ease into what would be considered true decodable text where you know, at least half of the words can be sounded out. It takes a little while in kindergarten. Yeah. But I want the children to have success with reading from that first week. Right. I want them to understand what reading is and feel like they're going to be a reader and really want to attack print and understand how print works. So I like giving them very simple pattern stuff at the beginning. Yeah. Well, um, I my mom is also a kindergarten teacher, and her advice is always the kindergartners want to read the first yeah. week of school because that's what they've told their mom or that's what mom yeah. told them they're going to kindergarten to learn to do is read so they want yeah. to come home and say i read something today exactly <laughs> yeah do you ever worry about um early on with kindergarten where that you're trying to build their meager knowledge do you ever worry about kids becoming too reliant on um a pattern yes where, where they stop Absolutely. looking is, is that's there... why i try to break the pattern as early okay. as i can so when you're writing sentences on the board, just make sure it doesn't ever become too predictable pattern-wise. Yeah, if, like, if you were writing five simple sentences, maybe a, three of them have the pattern and you break the pattern for four or five. Mm. Okay. And that really also helps you differentiate students and their abilities. Mm -hmm. um, do you... Do you have any other any other tips that we didn't cover specifically to the early grades and phonics or any any other resources you would send people to? Tips. Wow, there's so many. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Every, everybody's just got to go buy the book, frankly, because we can't cover all the good stuff in it in 20 minutes. But oh, good. I mean, with <laughs> phonemic awareness, I worry about the language of instruction. Oh you know, yeah. Because we know what we mean because we're skilled readers and writers. And sometimes when we're instructing very young children, we don't break down a skill mm -hmm. to their level that would make sense. And the, I think the example I give in the book, which is the classic example is rhyme, mm -hmm. where I often hear teachers say, you know, cats that rhyme because they sound the same at the end. That's very common to hear that. You and I know exactly what that means. But to a child, if they think about the end of cat and sat, they hear t. So they might think hit rhymes or salt rhymes, but it's not. So what does it mean to rhyme? I rarely hear teachers break it down and say something like, well, cat and sat rhyme because they both end in at. Listen, at, k, at. Do you hear at at the end of sat and cat? You see what I'm saying? Uh -huh. Like yeah. breaking it down to the sort of when we first discovered what rhyme was, sometimes teachers have difficulties going back to what it was like to discover these concepts. And so they are explained in a way that uh, helps all children grasp the concept quickly, or they explain in a way that creates some misconceptions. So there has to be some unlearning later on. And that could be problematic. I, I like, too, that you mentioned in the book that if we need help 
breaking down the concepts that our speech teacher is a good person to go to. Oh my gosh, they're so amazing. And it, it drives me crazy that schools don't take advantage of their knowledge because when I went through teacher training, we were not trained in linguistics. Mm-hmm. We did not have courses in phonics like I know some universities do now. Um, and so I know there are a lot of teachers out there in the same, in the same place. But our, 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 our language, you know, our speech pathologists, they are trained in so many things that could be beneficial to us. Just the eye that they have in terms of looking at student writing and all sorts of things can be so valuable to us as a, as, as a field. And I think we need to take more advantage of their expertise. Yeah, and that's really helpful to know who to go to in your own building that can yes. help you out. <laughs> I'm sure they would love it. At least I think they would love it. Yeah. Well, we're teachers. We're generous people, right? Exactly. <laughs> well, thank you for talking to me about it. And the book is called, again, A Fresh Look at Phonics. And uh, where where's the best place for people to find it? Just on Amazon? Or do you have I think so. Yeah, yeah, just on Amazon. And then you have a website, too, don't you, with extra resources? I, I, right? I have some things on there for teachers. It's mostly I also write children's books, so it's mostly for that. But there is a section with a few resources for teachers. Yeah, it's just wileyblevins.com. Okay. Well, thank you so much for talking to me today. And thank you again for your book. I, it's going to be my Bible this year. Oh, my <laughs> pleasure. If you have any questions, email me. All right. Do you mind sharing your email with anybody who's listening? Oh, yeah. It's super easy. It's wbny at aol.com. So Wiley Blevins, New York, wbny at aol.com. And just put in the tagline, you know, question about phonics, fresh look at phonics, or question about phonics. I, I get them all the time for my presentations, and I, I love helping. So, great. Well, thank bye you bye. so much. Thank you. Sure. Have a great day. You too. Bye. Bye. Well, thank you, Dr. Blevins, for being on the podcast. We really appreciate your time and your knowledge, and we highly recommend everybody run out and grab this book because it will be such a boon to your teaching this year. It's It's a great book. It really is. awesome. If you'd like to learn more about us, you can visit us at kindergartenkiosk.com, and if you'd like to write to us, you can write to us at kindergartenkiosk at gmail.com. And write to us. We love hearing your ideas and your experiences listening to our podcast. Yes, we do. Thanks for listening today, everybody. Goodbye, everyone. Bye. Kindergarten Kiosk is a proud member of the Education Podcast Network, a network of podcasts for educators by educators. For more information, visit edupodcastnetwork.com. That's edupodcastnetwork.com. Now can I listen to it?